0: Last week I spoke about dependent relationships, so I'm going to pick up from where I left off, and uh, there'll be a bit of an overlap so that uh, we know where we're going with this, okay? So, uh, in my last message I spoke about dependent relationship and how there's a framework that we can use to view our relationship with God and with one another. Anybody remembers the three aspects? Excellent. Meaning, message and uh, mission. Titus 1.10, Pew Bible, page 917. In that section, we read how the message can be corrupted, leading people to turn away from the truth. Uh, These false teachers call themselves Christians, and they pretend to be Christians, but they have their own agendas, and not that of the Christ or of the church. Okay? So how will this corrupted framework look for a false teacher? Have you wondered? So this is what a corrupted framework would look for a false teacher. So as you can see, the meaning for a false teacher is, my works will get God's acceptance. And that's what basically a false teacher does, my works. It's rebelliousness versus humility. The message that is derived from that is salvation comes through works. Does that sound familiar? Salvation comes through works. So there is a conflict between law and faith. And then the mission as a result of that message is preach and teach the gospel of works. You have to be circumcised. You have to live the tradition. You have to live the law or you have to obey the law. If not, you're not going to be saved. my friends try using that framework and see if it's a true teaching or a false teaching so that is what a framework would look for a false teacher in our church we have elders and there is right now nominations being taken for elders or it been, is it done? I'm not sure okay. but whatever it be I'd like us to look At what would be the framework for an elder? Interested? Because it's there in Titus chapter 1. An elder. The meaning that, or the significance of a dependent relationship for an elder, just like any other member in a congregation, is the same. An elder doesn't have extra qualifications So those of you who are sitting on the fence wondering whether I should give in my nomination my name don't require any extra qualifications no PhDs the meaning the significance of a dependent relationship is a child of God through faith in Christ Jesus clothed with Christ through baptism that's an that's the meaning of a relationship what's the message that comes out of the meaning As a child, you hold firmly to the message of God. As a child, you hold firmly to the trustworthy message of God. Don't let go of it. What's the mission that comes out of that? So as an elder, the mission is to live wisely, To encourage others and to correct false teaching. That's a pretty responsible calling. So you see the difference between a false teacher and an elder. So think about it, my friends. Is there a calling in your life? to hang on to that message or that meaning come forth with a message for your own life and then seek to serve the body of Christ through living wisely through encouraging others through wholesome teaching and correcting false doctrine alright now let's jump into Titus 2 alright right. can anyone tell me where the incarnational message is in Titus 2? Those of you who are attending O. Kramer's Bible study every second and fourth Monday, those of you who are not attending, I would encourage you to attend, because he is taking Titus. He is teaching on Titus. That's what he told me last week. Bobby, I'm teaching on Titus 2. So probably those of you who attended of Kramer's Bible study would know where the incarnational message is in Titus 2. Any ideas? No? Or probably not. Uh, probably a little shy to share. I'll help you. It's in Titus 2, verse 11 to 14. It's in Titus 2, verses 11 to 14. I'll give you a minute to read it. You can also look at your Bibles. If the slides are not very clear, so we have here in Titus 1 an incarnational message from which we understood there is a dependent relationship with God, which has meaning, which has a message, and a mission. In Titus 2, there is also an incarnational message from which we derive another aspect of this relationship. What would be that aspect? It's a devoted relationship. Did you cast that word in the, in the passage? Devotion to God? So, from this incarnational message, we get the theme, another aspect of relationship, which is a devoted relationship. Now let us look at the framework for a devotional relationship. So if that were a tripod chair, see it as the three legs of that stool. I'm going to talk about the three legs, three pillars, three aspects, whatever you want to call it, of a devoted relationship. What would that look like, a devoted relationship? First pillar I'm going to focus on, it could be love. I've placed it at the end. The first pillar I would like to talk about is live. We live in a manner worthy of the gospel. Paul says in Ephesians 4.1, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Then Paul goes on to elaborate what this life is, this life, this living. So in a devoted relationship, the first pillar... I've chosen to focus on is live how do we live that's the question how do we live so we live by faith and not by sight what do you think will creep in to affect this faith what do you think will creep in doubt doubt will creep in so, the polar opposite of faith is doubt. Doubt creeps in. Okay? In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were living a life of dependence and devotion to God. Satan comes and casts doubt in their minds, thus corrupting their relationship and leading them astray. Satan is still at work today. As it says in 2 Corinthians three uh, eleven three. Paul is concerned for the Corinthian Christians that false teachers will lead them astray from living as children of God. He says in that, in 2 Corinthians, but I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure, pure, pure devotion to Christ. What leads us astray from our pure devotion to Christ? It is doubt. Because we live by faith and not by sight, false teachers, instruments of the evil one, and Satan does his best to cast doubts on our faith, hence affecting the way we live out our life worthy of the gospel. Many years ago, a friend of mine uh, and I had an interaction and uh, he asked me this question, Bobby, what if at the end of all this, you find that this is not true? So I was stumped. I didn't know how to answer that. I wasn't expecting that question from him. He's my friend. He's an atheist, by the way. So I prayed quietly. I said, Lord, give me a, a, a nice, a, a, a convincing response because I don't want to react to this. I want to respond. So I sat quietly, said a quick prayer, and I countered his question with another question. I asked him, my friend, if this is not true, I stand nothing to lose. But if it's true, would you stand to lose everything? He didn't have an answer to that. He said, I wasn't expecting that response. My hope and prayer is he is in Christ this day. He's got good influence, uh, good uh, supports and framework. I've not heard about him after, but my hope is that he is in the Lord. The next aspect we learned. so we looked at living or live. That's one pillar of a devoted relationship. The other pillar of a devoted relationship is learn. Keep in mind, as we are living by faith and not by sight, we are attacked on sides, on every side with doubt. We have to learn how to live a life worthy of the gospel. In Psalm 25, 9, it says, God guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. In Titus, Paul instructs Titus to teach the old and young And the employed worker, he calls them slaves, employee, employer. Believers to live wisely and according to the word of God. So we read that Paul instructs Titus to teach. So a devoted life, a relationship involves learning. So in order to learn, what is an ingredient that is essential? It's humility. Humility. Paul talks about training to run the race. In 1 Corinthians 9, and the parable of the wise and the foolish builder, in Matthew 7, 24, 7, and Luke 46 to 49. In the parable of the wise and the foolish builder, we see that the, the wise builder took time to build. He likened it to hearing the word of God and doing it. In other words, learning to do it. Okay? We also read about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 8, 18, to 14, where the Pharisee says, God, look at me. I'm not like the tax collector, nor the robbers, nor the adulterers. Right? That is not an attitude of learning. That's an attitude of pride. Whereas the tax collector says, look at me, I am a sinner. Have mercy on me. Okay. So we, we see here that there is humility, and that which corrupts humility is pride. Pride keeps us from being open to learn and grow in our devotion to Christ and each other. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. So in this devoted relationship, another aspect is learning. Learning with a heart of humility but attacking that humility is pride. Okay? Attacking that humility is pride. There are two characters in the Bible that Paul refers to. It's, they are Hymenius and Philetus. They were with Paul actually. They taught the good news. But they fell away. They listened to false teaching and they themselves... Taught Paul's gospel. They fell away. Paul's teachers. Now, does that image of the meaning, the message, and the mission come to mind? They're false teachers. They were teaching the wrong thing. They fell away. They were in faith. They fell away, Hymenius and Philetus. So pride and humility. What would be the next aspect? Of a devoted relationship. What would be the next aspect of a devoted relationship? We come to love, what you had mentioned. The ne- next aspect is love. Okay. In John twenty-one fifteen to 21, we read of the discourse between Simon Peter and Jesus about love. Peter denied Jesus three times, and Jesus asks him the question three times. I'm not going to go into the different... Um, you know, um, different aspects of the Greek language and, you know, different aspects of love and the usage of love. I'm not going to go into that here. But just suffice to say that Peter denied Jesus three times and Jesus asked the question to Peter three times. Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And Peter says, you know I do. Then feed my sheep. So what does that mean? What does that mean? So another aspect of a devoted relationship is love. So what does that mean? So in Mark 8:34, Jesus says if anyone come after me, he must deny himself, take up the cross and follow me. Deny oneself. So in loving, we need to deny ourselves. We deny ourselves. John 12, 25, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. It's easier said than done. You and I know to deny ourselves, deny ourselves and to do things according to what God desires. It's not easy in this day and age. It's a struggle. It's a conflict. Do you know what stands in the way of denying ourselves? Flesh. Flesh stands in the way of denying ourselves. Indulging the flesh. The earthly and the physical nature. In Matthew 26, it's very interesting. Peter told Jesus... No, Peter insisted. If I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples said the same. A few verses down, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus goes up to pray, he comes back and sees the three disciples snoring away. What happened to being with Jesus and dying for him and couldn't even keep awake. Just Je- does Jesus scold them, shout at them? No. Ever so understandingly, Jesus tells them, "I know, Peter. Your spirit is swelling, but your flesh is weak." That's ah, an understanding response. And the same Peter, a few verses down, when the soldiers come to take Jesus, he reacts, of course he reacts. And then after that, what does he do? He denies Jesus, knowing Jesus outrightly. And this is the same Peter, who a few verses above said, even if I have to die, I will not deny you. But when the rubber hit the road, He was afraid for his life. His spirit was willing, but his flesh was weak. So what is that thing that affects our love for Christ? It is indulgence. It's the flesh that stands in the way. And God understands that sometimes the fight is hard. And as we are devoted, as we depend on him, and as we are devoted to him, will see us through. It's very interesting. Church history says that Peter was crucified. The Peter later on in his life, both his flesh and his spirit were strong. Didn't, did not deny Christ. So You can see the progression in his life. Now let's quickly review. From Titus we come to understand that there is a relationship with God and with one another that's dependent. A dependent relationship has a meaning, message, and a mission. We also come to understand from Titus 2 that there is another aspect of relationship that is a devoted relationship. A devoted relationship has three pillars. The first pillar, live. But when we live, we live By? Faith. Faith. What does attack the faith? What attacks faith? Doubt. Doubt. We have to guard against doubt because our faith is always under attack. Did God really tell you he will heal you? Probably not. Did God really say he's going to bless your finances? Look at me. I've got nothing. We have to guard against doubt. The second aspect of a devoted relationship is learn learn. we have to learn some things but we learn in humility humility. that's difficult you know why the thing that attacks humility Pride. pride I am somebody I am educated how dare he teach me the word of God Let's do some critical evaluation of the word of God. Let's look at some theologians, what they have to say. And then I will ask God. So to learn, we need humility. What attacks humility? Pride. And to wrap it up, the beautiful word, love. How do we live? How do we love? What's an ingredient in love? We love by denying ourselves. What attacks that denial? What attacks that denying ourselves? Flesh. Our flesh, our indulgences, and that is what we need to guard against. Just like Peter, probably some of you, I, I, I have that often. Um, you know, you get woken up in the middle of the night, and there is a, and there is a, what's the word? Uh, There is an urging, a nudging in your spirit to get up and pray. But we turn around, now that it's cozy and warm, and we sleep. Probably it's the Lord nudging you to pray for somebody, or to pray for your family, to pray for yourself. I don't know what it is. Probably our spirit is willing, but our body is weak. But rest assured, God loves you and he wants you in a place where your spirit and body is willing. So love by denying yourself and living a life worthy of the gospel and not indulging the flesh. May God bless you. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you, O Lord, for your goodness and mercy and grace. I pray that what we have heard, Lord, will remain in our hearts. And you're the gardener. You make the seeds grow. Pray that you would water it. You would help it to grow. That we may live dependent and devoted lives. Toward you and toward one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.